Well, as I said at the start of the service, today in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. It is 50 days after Jesus rose again. And I want us just to pause from our series in Ephesians to think about what that means for us. And there's lots of passages we could go to to look, look at this, but I want us to look at the time when this happened in Acts chapter 2. What is Pentecost Sunday all about? Well, just a quick recap. Remember that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word became flesh. He lived in this world and he, he lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. And then, after 33 years of living on this world, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. There on the cross, we believe, don't we, that he was taking the eternal punishment that we deserve in our place. He was our substitute. And as he did that, he died, bore that punishment, and three days he was buried. But then he rose again. And after he rose again, he spent 40 days with his disciples. After that Easter Sunday, he spent 40 days with the disciples, and he was teaching them, helping them to understand what the Bible was saying, helping them and teaching them what they should tell the world about him. And so he trained them and he taught them. And just before he left to ascend to heaven, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday, this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, so the, just before he left to go to heaven, he told them what they were to do. If you just look in Acts, if you've got your Bibles open there, turn to the previous chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So he tells them, look, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power, and then you'll go from there, from Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, sharing this message and this gospel message of hope. So after 10 days, Jesus um, went, uh, ascended, and then what happens? Well, after 10 days of his ascension, so 40 days of the disciples, 10 days of the ascension, then the Holy Spirit comes. So it's a major point in church history. This is one of those things when you think about um, Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the Spirit of God coming. This is there. This is so important for us to see as this unique uh, time in church history. Now, many people have called it the church's birthday, and we can see what they mean by that, but sometimes we can uh, misunderstand that because in the Old Testament, we do, do know that they were believers before Jesus. They believed looking forward to Jesus. So before Jesus came, they trusted that the Messiah would come. So they were believing in the same Savior as us, believing in the same Jesus that we have. So he was, they were looking forward. So they were part of the, the church as well. But the Spirit-filled church started here in Acts 2, and the Spirit then ascends and descends on all those who believe. We've been looking at this in the book we've been reading together, haven't we? How when you become a Christian, we believe that the Spirit of God then dwells within us. What an amazing thing that um, we have the, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in each of us if we're trusting in Jesus today. So in the Old Testament, did people have the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, but in a different way. So in the, whole, in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit comes on people to give them a particular and help them with a particular job. But in the New Testament, after Pentecost, things are different. One illustration that I read that helped me get it in my head and might help you as well was this. Imagine a town where there's no uh, mains electric. And so what happens is the mayor would have a few um, uh, generators. 
and he would bring these generators to particular houses if they needed to accomplish particular jobs. So these generators would start up and then they would have the power to be able to do the job that they needed to do. And then, imagine, a few years down the line, one day the mayor then fits a mains electric. And electric is now going to every house so they can all accomplish um, those different jobs. Well, in a similar way, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on people for a particular job. But now, post-Pentecost, after Pentecost, the Spirit has descended on all of those who trust in Jesus. Now, what does this day of Pentecost mean for us today? It's an event in the history of the church, but so what? Now, what difference is that going to make to me tomorrow, to this week? Well, let's have a look. There's four things for us to see, the difference that this uh, account makes in our lives. Number one is this. God can be trusted. The day of Pentecost shows us that God can be trusted. Now, what is the day of Pentecost? What were, uh, why does it say here, when the day of Pentecost arrived? Now, the day of Pentecost is actually an Old Testament feast. In the Bible, uh, the people of God would have loads of parties and celebrations that God put in the calendar. And the reason they were there was so that they could stop and thank God for the different things that were happening throughout the year. It was to help them to keep their eyes on God. It was helping, so things were in the calendar so that they could stop and thank God for particular things. So the, the, one of the feasts and celebrations they had was called the Feast of the First Fruits. So when the harvest would start to grow, some of the fruits would come out first and they would have a celebration. They would have a party and they would take these first fruits and offer them to God and say, thank you. Thank you that you give the harvest. Thank you that you bring the rain. You help these seeds to germinate. It is all from you. You brought the sun and the rain and it's all of you. Thank you. That was the feast of the first fruits. And they were acknowledging God. But then 50 days later, after that first fruit, because that meant that the whole harvest wasn't there yet, 50 days later, the whole harvest had come, and they, they could see, well, God has been faithful yet again, so let's have another celebration. And what was that called? 50 days, Pent, Pentecost. A, a celebration of God's goodness. A celebration that God has provided. A celebration that God can be trusted yet again. So they would praise, and they would rejoice in this feast. So this is happening at the same time. But Pentecost is uh, 50 days. 50 days since what? Well, it's 50 days since um, the Passover. The Passover, remember in the Old Testament, was when God's people were slaves in Egypt and God set them free. And he, he came and they set them free and they went through the wilderness and they ended up at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, which was 50 days after the Passover, um, they would have ended up there there they were at Mount Sinai and they could experience the freedom that God had bought for them from being slaves. The reason God saved them was to have fellowship with him. The reason God saved them was to meet with them and so that they could know him. And so there at Mount Sinai, he promised to be their God and they promised to be his people. So the Feast of Pentecost was on the 50th day and they would remember this day of harvest, but also they'd remember the day they were set free. In the details of that feast in Leviticus, we're told that they were to eat bread with yeast. What's the significance? Well, at Passover, they were to eat bread without yeast because they didn't have time to wait for, this, to, for the dough to rise. But now they're saying, no, rest, stop. You've got time, let the dough rise. Enjoy that one day you're going to be in the promised land. One day you're going to be at rest. Here's a taste of that future right now. So... Can you see the promised land was there they had a taster of it 
they have this 50-day celebration, 50 days remembering of when they were set free, and that's what Pentecost is. And on that same day, we see in the New Testament something else happens. God uses this celebration to mark it in a different way. So what does it mean for us? Well, think of what it shows us. If you follow those feasts through, the feast of the Passover, what happened then? Do you remember what happened 50 days before Pentecost? Well, Jesus died. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the lamb of the Passover. 40 days later, he ascended to heaven, the feast of the, the first fruits, as it were. And then he promised the Spirit would come. And 50 days after his death, we have Pentecost, the Spirit comes. Can you see God is kind of using these Old Testament feasts and he's saying, let me show you what these really mean. Let me show you what these really are saying. See, they're showing us, and Pentecost shows us back then in the Old Testament, it showed us God keeps his promises. And Pentecost today, when the Spirit came, shows that God again has kept his promises. He promised that the Spirit would come. He promised that uh, because of the freedom bought at the cross, the gift and the harvest could come in full. Because of all of this, it is yours. So it shows us we can trust God. Now remember the story isn't over, is it? Um, chapter 1 again, if you look at verse 11. The angels there, after Jesus has gone to heaven, say, Men of Galilee, who do you stand looking in? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. Jesus is coming back, he's saying. So again, this is part of the story, and the story isn't over yet. So he's coming again. He's coming back to put all the bad things right. He's coming back to fix the brokenness of this world. He's coming back to, uh, to put things right, to bring justice. So God can be trusted. Now let's pause there for a second. Do you need to hear that today? God can be trusted. We might feel in our lives that lots of people have let us down. Lots of people who we trusted haven't been there for us when we've needed them. People who we thought would look after us have ended up hurting us. People who we thought would be there for us now are no longer there, and we just don't like to trust anybody anymore. Well, here's a reminder for us this morning. God can be trusted. I've done that. I've brought it to pass. I promised I would, and it will happen. Jesus promises to never let go of us, and he'll never let go of you if you're trusting him today. Jesus is coming back which means that whatever trials and darkness we're going through now, this isn't the end. There is hope for the future. We might be in a dark place, in a dark tunnel, and we can't see the end of it. But the fact that Jesus is return returning means there is light at the end of every tunnel, however dark it might seem right now. Jesus is coming back. He will return because this has happened. And this is part of the package that he will return. His spirit has come and he will come back. God can be trusted this morning. Bring that into your life, into your heart, and see you need to hear it. Maybe you feel all alone. Maybe you feel, where is God in my life? Well, here we see God has promised to be with you, and he won't leave you. God can be trusted. The second truth that Pentecost shows us is this. God is with us. God is with us. So what happens in the day of Pentecost? Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. There's about 120 followers of Jesus that would have been. And suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So, on the day of Pentecost, there are 120 believers. And as they're sitting there, this huge, uh, massive sound of a, a, a mighty wind, like a storm there, this violent wind, and they look around and there's fire, tongues of fire, and now these tongues of fire are on every single person. What's going on here? Well, again, the Old Testament helps us. In the Old Testament, as you read through, a number of times where God's presence and His glory is seen. And do you know what we see? A storm or a wind and a fire. So often we see those things coming together. This was showing us God's presence is in the room. God's presence was with them. A flame resting on each person was such a big reminder that God's presence is in each person. Now, remember, 50 days after Passover was when they remembered God's people getting to Mount Sinai. And listen to what happened at Mount Sinai when they were there. Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day, where there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain, a big storm, a very loud trumpet blast, so that the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole trem mountain trembled greatly. Do you see the, the, the images of a storm, this wind and this, this fire coming down, the presence of God, and now it's not on a mountain, and if you read on in Exodus 19, the people don't want to go close. They are too scared. They say, Moses, you go up for us. This mighty, holy God, we don't want to go near. But now, now God is with us. The presence of God in each person. Now, if you turn the clock back, back a bit in Moses' story, do you remember when he was in the wilderness looking after sheep, and he sees this bush, and what is happening to it? It's on fire. <laughs> and what is happening? And what, does, what happens? God speaks from that burning bush and says, I'm here. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. Again, fire showing God's presence. As God's people travel through the wilderness, what do they follow? In the day, they follow a cloud. In the night, a pillar of fire. God is with you. The fire is here. Solomon built the temple, and when the temple was complete, what happened? As he finished his prayer, 1 Chronicles 7, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't enter the house because the glory of the Lord was there. God's presence was marked with fire. And in the same way that fire consumes, people knew you don't go near fire. Fire is something that is dangerous. And in the same way, God's holiness, his presence was a picture there and shown us in that fire. But now, the fire that so often would have consumed now dwells in each person. That's why the flames are there. Old Testament shows us God's presence, his mighty power is there. Now, uh, we see, don't we, the one that, whose presence would have consumed us is now near. Now, from this point on in church history, everyone who trusts in Jesus, we might not get the flame of fire to show it, but everyone who trusts in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. As Ephesians 1 says, it is our seal of approval for eternal life. That's how we know we're going to heaven, because we've been given the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to know the Spirit in our hearts? Well, it means that God dwells within us. Our hearts are changed from the inside out. We have, that we then will display the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By His Spirit, He assures us of His love. When you think of the triune God, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son by the Spirit for eternity. This outpouring of love within the Godhead. And now we get to experience a taste of that love within the Godhead by the Spirit. That's why in Romans 8 it says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery and fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you see, this is the assurance of God's love for us that the Spirit will give. He loves you. He is for you. He's not against you. Don't we see that when we see Jesus being baptized? There we see the dove, which is so often pictured as the Holy Spirit, and the dove descending on him, the Spirit descending on Jesus. And what words does he hear from heaven? This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. So when the Spirit is in our hearts, what does God say to you? This is my child, with you I am well pleased. Our sins forgiven, our sins taken away, we are accepted in him. God is near, the Spirit of Christ within us. And when we realize that, it changes us from the inside out. That means that we start to love things that God loves, hate things that God hates. We start to want to walk according to His ways, not our own. We want to love and follow Him. See, God is with us. That's why Jesus says in John's Gospel, isn't it? It's better if I go. The disciples are saying, don't go. And then you say, no, it's better if I go. Because if I go, I can dwell with you in your hearts. Otherwise, you have to go to a particular place at a particular time. But if I go, then everybody gets to know my presence. Now, notice here as well where this um, help and this spirit comes from. They came from heaven. The, the spirit came from heaven. So this wasn't somebody saying, I'm going to do this on my own. I've got the strength to do this. No, the answer was from outside of themselves. And then they were able to know the spirit's help. See, this morning we need to get remember this because everyone around us will say differently everyone around us tells us this you have the power to do whatever you want don't let the world stop you and we can see the how good that sounds but the reality is it leads us into a, a place of putting trust only in ourselves and pressure on ourselves and when we don't accomplish it we feel the failure we feel the loss but the bible's answer is this no the answer doesn't come from inside the answer comes from outside we need god's help and with his help then we can accomplish, then we can know his power, then we can know hope. God wants to rescue and save us. So it's not down to us, but the answer comes from heaven. So today, are you trying to save yourself? Are you trying to make yourself right before God and say, right, I need to sort my life out. If I do this, 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 and this, then God will love me. Then God will change me. No, the Bible tells us the help comes from heaven. We trust in his um, intervening in our life. We can't do it on our own. So if you're trying to do it on your own today, please see what this is saying. The hope and the help come from heaven, just like Jesus came from heaven. He came to rescue and save us. So God can be trusted. That's what Pentecost is telling us. He promised it would happen and it did. God is with us. The flame of fire on each of the followers of Jesus now showing us that the presence of God is with us. The third thing is this. 
God equips us. God equips us. The Spirit of God descends on these believers. And verse 4 tells us, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, remember what Jesus told them they were to do. They were to go to Jerusalem, in chapter 1 of Acts it says, and from there you'll go to the ends of the earth to tell people about me. So, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and they are given this gift of languages. And they were able to tell others, uh, verse 11 tells us, they were able to tell others, we hear them, they say, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. They were saying, look what God has done. Look what he has accomplished. What has he done? Well, he's telling them about the gospel. They're saying what he has done and what he's accomplished in this world. Look at these mighty works. Look at the resurrection of Jesus. They were going around and they were telling people in languages that they could hear and they could understand, this is the mighty works of God. See, the Spirit of God isn't just to help us to know, simply to help us to know that we are loved. That is one role of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit never will stop there. If we grasp just how much God loves us, if we grasp just how much uh, He has done for us, we will then go and tell other people about him. We will then go and speak for him. See, these people were so full of joy. These disciples and these followers of Jesus were so full of amazement that God was with them and for them that they went and told everybody about the mighty works of God. It spilled out into the streets. They couldn't help it. And that's why in verse 13 it says, some said, oh, they're filled with new wine. God, they're drunk. Look at the confidence they have. Look at this joy that they have. They must have been drinking. You know, when people have too much to drink, it gives a confidence, doesn't it? Dutch courage. You know, you do end up doing things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And the reason is uh, that they think they're drunk is because they just seem to have this confidence that oozes out of them. They seem to have this assurance that things, that they're, they're right and that, that, that God loves them. They have this assurance and confidence. And so they went out and told others. See, a sign of a spirit-filled church is that that church is one that cares and loves those around them, loves them enough to be able to share the gospel with people around. Our prayers must be longing for people to be saved, longing for other people to know the love of Jesus that we've experienced, because that's God's heart too. The Spirit was given to equip us to go to fill our hearts with the love of God. And the outpouring of that then is that we tell other people, look what God has done for me. Look how much God loves. This is what he's done. I wonder, does that mark us out as a church? Let's pray that it does. That we are so aware of God's love that it pushes us out to rejoice and celebrate and tell others about him. That's God's heart. And it should be ours too. Now perhaps when we're think about the thought of telling other people about Jesus, we get nervous. And we do, don't we? It's scary sometimes to stand up and tell people about Jesus. When we see a conversation coming around to spiritual things, we can, we can duck out the way. We can avoid it. Well, so often it's because we're thinking more about other people's opinion of us than God's opinion of us, isn't it? We care too much about what other people think and not enough about what God thinks. But when we grasp why the Spirit's given to us, the Spirit is given to us to give us an assurance that God loves us. And if the God of heaven loves you, the God who created all things, the one who knows everyone, he loves you, 
then that gives us the power and the, the encouragement to speak. As people have been um, sharing different stories of the Queen and royalty over these last few weeks, people love to talk of times where they've met or come near royalty. And my, my mum loves to talk about the time where she ended up having a conversation with Prince Charles at uh, something that was being opened. And they were talking about this many years ago now, and they were talking about, he was talking about his sons and how one of them wanted to play the drums, and she was a music teacher. They were talking about that. And it's amazing that she got to talk to Prince Charles. But isn't it more amazing that the God of heaven knows your name, the God of heaven knows your needs, and the God of heaven loves you dearly? Not just a passing conversation out of one of many, but he knows you personally, and he loves you dearly. And when we realize that God loves us, then we're able to say, look, I'm going to speak for him. Let's pray that we are so full of joy and fresh joy in the gospel that we get to tell others about it. And that's a, a spirit-filled church. So God can be trusted. God is with us. God equips us. And the last thing is this. Everyone is welcome. What does Pentecost teach us? Everyone is welcome. Now, there's a long list, isn't there, of different groups of people, beginning in verse 9 down to verse 11. Lots of people have come together for the celebration of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and lots of different countries, lots of different nationalities are there. People from all over were hearing the gospel in their own language, because these followers of Jesus had been given the gift of these languages, of these tongues, to be able to speak to them. Now, before the New Testament, people would have had to learn Hebrew to be part of these celebrations, wouldn't they? They'd have had to learn um, Hebrew to understand what the high priest was saying and to be part of these feasts and the celebrations. But now they were hearing it in their own language. See, as soon as you start using a language, you are isolating some people, aren't you? So if we, were in, um, if we were in another country, say, and I started speaking English to a group of people, only those who could understand English would be part of that conversation. We're excluding others. So when it came to the gospel, the, this message going out, when God chose a time for people to hear it, what language is he going to choose? What culture is he going to choose? Well, look at it here. Every language and culture that was there, they're all welcome. He's not going to restrict it and, and limit it to others, but everybody could hear it and everyone could understand in their own language. I think that helps us as a church in a few ways, isn't it? It's important for us to see, look, we need to make everything we do accessible to all so that all can hear and understand. Use language that people understand, uh, not just Christian jargon. Think through how we use our words and our phrases so that we don't exclude anyone. Don't use unnecessarily long words. Don't use unnecessarily Christian um, words that people don't understand. We need to help people to understand and, and be a church where anybody is welcome, anybody can come, and they can hear the gospel. Now, maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Do you see what this is showing you about God? God, when the chance for the message to go out came, wasn't restricting it from anybody, but saying, throwing the doors wide open again and saying, come, everyone any background, the message of Jesus is for you. I wonder if you need to turn to him today, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never done it, and you've restricted, you thought, no, God is restricting me. He's not. Jesus says, all who come to me, I will save, and I will. Um, so turn to him and trust in him today. Now, perhaps this morning, you, you do like to tell people about Jesus. You've been praying for people in your family for a long time, and friends, and 
when you tell them, it just seems discouraging because there doesn't seem to be any response. Well, notice here, even in this passage, we get a couple of responses, don't we? Now, this is the day of Pentecost. We go on to see that thousands believed in Jesus after Peter preached. But here, what happens in verse 12, we see two responses. All were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? And others mocked and said they're filled in their wine. So, some were amazed and perplexed, as troubled, and others said, oh, they're, dr they're drunk. They're dismissing it. Now, if you wanted to be anywhere, if you wanted your friends to be somewhere, to hear the gospel and to kind of experience God's presence and power, I think the day of Pentecost would be up there, wouldn't it, with one of those things? Oh, I'd love, so they, if they were there, surely. But there, even there, we see there's a, a different response. And so, if you're praying for someone, don't give up, keep praying. We might have had that response, but keep praying, keep praying, because God can save, He can work. Don't be too discouraged at people um, mocking or um, or dismissing. Let's keep praying and keep humbly uh, presenting them the message of Jesus. Now, just as we close, um, the Old Testament kind of is the key to unlocking a lot of this passage, isn't it? Understanding what Pentecost is, uh, seeing the, the flame of fire and the wind and what that means. But as well, I wonder if this reminds you of another passage in the Old Testament that it can help us understand. Um, in Genesis 10 and 11, there's a huge list of nations there like we see here. And these people come together from all over, and they come in rebellion against God. They come to build a tower of Babel, and they build this tower because they want to make their name great. They don't want God's name to be great. They want their name to be great. They want to make it without God, and so God could see the danger. God could see the concern. If they do this, then they're going to be far from us, and they're going to destroy themselves. So God, what does He do? He sends down languages of confusion so that they can't communicate together. And here we're seeing a reversal, aren't we? Here God sends out those languages, those, and He unites people who didn't understand, and now they're coming back. The curse that came down from God to, to disperse the people, now we're seeing as being reversed because of what Jesus did on the cross. He, uh, because He died and rose, now people are being brought together from all these tongues and languages and nations. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He was bearing the curse. He was taking the consequences of our rebellion against God. How did salvation happen? Well, it wasn't by us reaching our potential and working to try and reach God, but it came by God coming down to our level. As we read in Philippians 2 earlier, He gave up everything for us. He gave it all up so that we could be saved. He unites us under one head, under Jesus Christ, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's why we see in Revelation 7, when John says there, he says, after this, this is the picture of heaven, he says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, tongue and nation, peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God, before the throne of the Lamb, um, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the picture of heaven, all united together, singing praises in their own language. I wonder, are you going to be there? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, your only hope? If He is today, we can look forward to that day. If He's not, it's not too late. Trust in Him today. Let's pray that God would help us to be a Spirit-filled church, one where we would be assured that God can be trusted, that God is with us, that God equips us, and that God welcomes everyone.
Let's pray together before we sing our last song. We thank you, Lord God, for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you work amongst us this morning, give us an assurance of your love towards us, and help us, Lord, please, to go out boldly speaking for you, because we're so assured of your amazing love for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.